I'm James Chow, sitting here with Carmelo Durgi, a very fine photographer who was born in Iran. And when Iraq invaded Iran, she happened to be in Switzerland as a child. And that's where she and her family settled since. She studied at Wheaton in the United States and then at Oxford. And now we're at Basel in Switzerland. Did you ever think that when you left Switzerland for university from Basel, which is where you grew up, that you would end up back here living in this country? No, it's... I've said goodbye to Switzerland so many times <laughs> permanently that it's um, I've stopped doing that because I, I yeah I really thought that's it I'm never coming back and I think someone listens when you make big statements but in the meantime yeah I mean I ended up living in Hong Kong as you know and I lived in Japan so I never expected to to be back in Basel. It's it's like the cord of the mother pulling you back each time. That's I think your mother actually did say to you at one time, "What do you want us to do with all your things from your childhood home?" And you said, "Do what you want with it." Yeah, I'm because never I'm, coming not, back. I'm never coming back. Exactly. But you ended up marrying uh, someone from Switzerland, which yeah. is the reason why you're based back here in St. Gallen, which is an area rich for its historical textiles, that industry. But you're in photography. Tell me about what you do. Well, um, basically, I'm really interested in the in the human form. So um, I would see myself as a fine art photographer. I do black and white. Um, nudes, in particular, um, interest me, but um, not only. Uh, for me, I really like the beauty of the, of the human form. And I'm not a portrait photographer so much, is that I would like the subject to embody something that I want to express rather than try to photograph the person. It's a very okay. different... Um, so you, you come in with a predetermined definition maybe? Often. Often I do, but then it evolves to something totally different. I normally show up with like one or two pieces of fabric and uh, and then maybe something happens out of that and you end up, sometimes the best image is one that at the very end you just kind of just do. I and do some are to, very... But I do have to say that for your subjects, if they do even have the luxury of one or two pieces of fabric, that's already, yes, that's already quite a lot. <laughs> Often there's just a string or something. Uh, yes, often there's nothing or just paint. Like the, the one where um, I painted the, the one that the orchid, I actually painted the model's body. In paint? In it paint. Lo it looks like chalk. No, it's actual, actually paint, but it's um, not being a painter. I didn't know that you shouldn't put acrylic on people's bodies because <laughs> it was really hard to get off afterwards. But it well, is for just, her, I suppose. Yeah. Unless yeah. you were scrubbing her down. No, no, as no. Well. I, I but the poor, I mean, they're so patient. My models are very nice. Um, they love the idea. And I really wanted this sort of chalkiness and this dryness um, so, that, so that the person's body became almost like a statue. There is one particular photograph that comes to mind which is the human form of a man and he's bound in what appears to be a second skin but I think you told me before was a cast yes and the way he moves the way you photograph it and the way the, the, the material seems to fly off it it's almost as if a twisting motion in the body then snapped the cords that tightly bound him and therefore he was set free and emotion 
after that. That sounds pretty good, doesn't I it? I love that interpretation. I think we need to write that into one of your... I, th I think it's a lot better than books. what I was doing. <laughs> Interpret that for me. I like that. What, what was it going was, on? What was, was the definition for that picture? Well, that was another thing. I was actually asked by uh, the artist who was doing the cast and the model just to document them casting his chest because he had basically the perfect chest. Um, and I said, yeah, as I always do, I said, you know, I'd love to do that. I'll document for you. But that, to me, that's not my photography. That's just me pressing a button. I said, then, in exchange for my time, I want you then to pose for me. And that's how I often do it with my models. I will give them uh, the photos they need for their uh, head shots and their model shots and all of that. And in exchange, they then pose for me. Pose for me. And so um, in this one, it just it just kind of happened. It was really, really interesting. It was We were photographing the process, and then I just really got lost in the light and the movement and the way it was turned bound around him. So I think afterwards, what the things you're seeing, that kind of happens afterwards. For me, I get lost really in shapes, light, and shadows. It's really that basic. We talk about the form, and it seems to be very aesthetic. You seem to have a message before you arrive at the camera. But I know a lot of our own personal conversations revolve around politics and around society. Does that in any way have, and also your upbringing, does that in any way have an impact on what you photograph and what you try to achieve even if you don't end up having that particular result? You know, I think that's a, that's a really good question. I, I wouldn't see myself uh, political. Um, in my art, obviously, uh, verbally I, I, I am, but I think when it comes to my art, I, I kind of, I want to strip away everything. Maybe that's what it is, because my life and my encounters with people, because of coming from two cultures, being both American and Iranian, living in Switzerland, there's always a conversation, and politics is, is a very strong part of it. Um, so I think what I'm seeking is the purity of humanity and showing that we're all the same. And when you take people's clothes away, um, they are no longer, uh, let's say, uh, symbols of, um, of society, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're stylish or not. Those are the things, and they get taken down to a basic form. Um, and that's why, like, one of my series, each person was a different god or goddess because it was just going back to these sort of pure forms. And then, for me, uh, the range of people that I photograph, they're all aesthetically pleasing to me but they're not all conventionally beautiful some are um, and there is no rhyme or reason there's a Japanese woman I have a Canadian woman who's black there's a, a you know an army guy who will often uh, pose for me there's a wonderful mix there's a professional models Australians you know so for me I think that's the way I approach the world I I see beauty everywhere in in the people and I'm less interested in all of the stuff that they carry with them and that's their rings and their jewelry and their clothing and their may I ask you about your childhood before you were 10 you were born in Tehran, yes. which is yeah. where you grew up as well. Your father, as we heard earlier, is or represents the Iranian side of the family. Yeah. Your mother uh, comes from the United States. Which part of America? She's from North Dakota. She's from North Dakota. And your father's from Tehran itself? No, he's from uh, southern Iran, from Khuzestan. What's unique about that region for you? That region is very, very stark. It's very, very dry. Um, it's it's not uh, 
I would say it's not conventionally beautiful, uh, but it is when you get into the homes and there's this, this purity of form. Um, they're not as decorative as like Isfahan and Shiraz, which I, appeals to me more, but Southern Iran has this sort of, uh, yeah, this stark beauty, this, this sort of straightness to it. And it's, uh, I think the people are also quite shy. Um, is he not shy? that I am. No, my father isn't. <laughs> my father isn't. I'm not. But um, we have like family members who are definitely who are until they, you bring them into into the, the family, the, the clan, and then they're super warm and open everything up for you. I mean, in general, a lot of people are like that. What memories do you have of Iran? For most of us around the world, Iran is not even a name. Iran is a word in the news, and it has been for many decades, the fall of the Shah, then the revolution, the invasion, and so and so forth. And it continues to be a cornerstone in Middle East policy for many major countries like the US, but also for Europe, the nuclear program. I've covered that a lot over the years as well. But what was your Iran purely based on the references that were, that were available to you? I mean, as a child, I think your childhood is, is always more beautiful, um, especially if your childhood is then taken away. So I think uh, the Iran that I remember is very idealized in this uh, wonderful world where nothing went wrong and then it, there was this sharp cut to Switzerland. But I also have very strong memories of the revolution itself and the, the fear of that and the... What were the memories the, of that? Oh, I mean, lots of different ones. I remember... The build-up or the day or the aftermath? Well, I remember looking over the rooftops and seeing uh, students burning um, tires and cars and, and the fear where you were... Because I'm, you know, also American. And one time these kids threw stones at my mother and said, you know, go home, uh, you American. And I love my mom. She picked up stones and threw them back at them and said, go home, I'm going to tell your mom. <laughs> In Persian, of course, but uh, um, it, it was it was frightening to suddenly be told you don't belong somewhere, which is where you've grown up. Do you think that that runs parallel to any of the contemporary experience today in this year, in this period, to them and us? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it just continues to happen again and again, and people are displaced and. Um, there's this misunderstanding like that everyone is trying to come to the West. If, if our countries weren't screwed up by different people and different countries, I'm not going to get political, but if, if we weren't messing around in the Middle East, people wouldn't want to leave their homes. So you're looking at the root causes perhaps of refugee movements, of migration, and the consequences of that. So, 10 years old, you were in Switzerland with your father and your mother on holiday yes. and your brothers. And that's when the world changed. How did you hear about the invasion of Iraq? And did you think it would last as long as it eventually did? No, absolutely not. I mean, we were in the car. I was, we were visiting my uncle, and he wanted to do a tour of Switzerland. And that's actually why we were in Switzerland. It was really random. And um, we were doing a little tour, and the news came on, and it was in German. And, of course, I didn't understand anything. But my mother was like, what, what, Iraq, invade Iraq, what, what? And she's trying to change it. My uncle just turned off the radio. He's like, nothing, nothing, it's nothing. Because we're from southern Iran, so our family is there where they were bombing, you know. And our 
uncle and aunt and everybody. I mean, they had to flee, literally, with, like, the clothes on their backs. So um, my father was completely devastated. He actually had an ulcer and then had to go to hospital and have it operated because he just couldn't uh, manage it. Um, and we really thought it was a temporary thing. So I ended up living in a temporary state, always thinking, well, we're not going to go home this year, first this month. Okay, we get an apartment. Then when my parents wanted to put me in school after three months, I was like, no, I'm not going to school here. I'm going back. I'm going home. And they had to try to explain that, yes, we will go home, but not yet. And there was this sort of, mm. and then the war lasted eight years. So then I was 18. And by that time, for a lot of people, that exile had become permanent. Yes. Or almost semi-permanent, at least. Um, have you ever been back? Um, I went back in the year 2000, and it was a wonderful experience, and I immediately went back a second time. Um, Were you scared? No. Not no. at all? No. Not at that time. No. It was, Iran was really opening up. There was a super positive vibe. It's similar to what's going on now. Um, but, you know, we had some ugliness in between. But at the time, I was really excited, and it was wonderful to, I don't know, to, to encounter a people. Um, that were so similar to me, you know, because I've always lived, there's lots of Iranian communities, but I've never been part of one. So when I lived in Switzerland, I was always the only Iranian, um, even when I was studying in university. And so to come to Iran and see, oh my God, there's a whole society of people who laugh too much, talk too loud in Swiss uh, standards, come too late, you know, love food, super hospitable, chaotic. Um, and that was quite amazing. So I was that like, was a wow, welcome. You know? It was wonderful. Welcome state of chaos? Yeah, yeah, it really was. And at the same time, I then realized how much I'd also, of course, changed and liked certain order that, that Switzerland brings. Um, but it was a wonderful thing to be able to, like, consciously leave Iran. Because that's actually a, a pain I carried with me for so long, was that I never got to say goodbye. I never, you know, closed that chapter. So, um, and my mom, I forgot, my mom told me my first year I used to cry every night, like every single night and say, can't, can't we go home? You know, it was just, I wanted home. That's what people don't understand. You know, it's like your home is where, where you grow up, wherever it is, even if it's a patch of dirt somewhere or a patch of green grass or it's an igloo, it's your home and that's where you want to go. Have you ever photographed in your original home? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, well, I should say no and yes. I have done some pieces. Um, I have never shown them um, because I was, I've become a whole other level of photographer now. So I'd like to go back and do it again. I know that you had an extraordinary trip to Zimbabwe, a country that you had wanted to visit for a long time, specifically to photograph. You had the Minotaur theme over there. And uh, more recently, you've had many other different examples that explore the human form, mm -hmm. that same commonality that you bring to your work. Very excited to speak to you and can't wait to see more of your work. What's your website address? Uh, www.camilla, C-A-M-I-L-L-A, Duraghi, D-O-U-R-A-G-H-Y.com. Okay, so you go to www.camilladurigi.com and we look forward to hearing from more from you soon. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs>